Did you know today through Jesus you've already won? You're a victor. Can we just, woo! Your team may not even be playing today, but it doesn't matter. Man, we are victors today, and so don't lose sight of that. Anyway, it is good to be with you today on this last day of this series that we've been going through the last few weeks entitled, Can't Do It Yourself. This is really our kickoff for the year saying, okay, there's a lot of things you want to do this year. There are a lot of things you want to accomplish this year, and it's not going to be on, based on willpower. It's not going to be based on our resolutions. It will be based on this idea that we come before God and say, Uh, I can't do this myself. And he goes, good, that's where I want you to be. Because if you acknowledge that, that you can't live this life on your own, you can't produce the life that God wants to produce in you. If you realize you can't do it on your own, you're in a good place. And if you're here today thinking you can do it on your own, you're in a good place because we're going to show you that you can't. You're not supposed to. And we're going to have a good time. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, page 1001, if you want to use this Bible sitting in front of you. I don't know. It's not that I've had extra coffee. It's just, man, I just sometimes going to two services is good, just singing these songs a second and third time for the day. You might have to try this. Go to the first, then go to the second, and you're like, when's the third? Anyway, woo. Hey, our theme verse for this uh, short series to start off the year was found in John chapter 15. It's in your notes. It's up here on the screen. I'm going to ask that you passionately read it with me. Ready? Begin. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I should have told you before we read that, these were Jesus' words. This is what he said to his followers. He said, here's, I'm the life source. You're one of these who's connected to me. And if you stay connected, woo, you're going to produce much fruit. But if you decide, like, I can do this on my own, I just want you to know, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus shared this with his followers. This is where we've been for the last few weeks And we're going to finish this off today. Because the reality is, you and I like to be people who like to do it ourselves. From a very young age, leave me alone, Mom and Dad. I can tie my shoes on my own. I can ride the bike on my own. Or I can drive the car on my own. Or whatever it is. I can do it myself. It's actually counterproductive when we try to live this Christian life. That we have this mentality, I can do it on my own. Jesus says, no, no, no. You need to stay connected For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the way God designed us. He designed us that we would need him. And so today he wants to speak to you again and and tell you, I designed you to need me in every facet of your life. Today we're going to finish our service by taking communion. There are a couple tables up here, a couple in the back. And this is our way to remember what Jesus did for us. I think this is part of the reason I'm just amped up, because even after first service, just remembering what Jesus did for us. When you leave here today, I would hope that you would have a better picture of what Jesus did for you, and that it would cause you to say, oh man, I I remember that he, he left heaven for person like me, and he died for a person like me, and he was raised from the dead for a person like me, and he empowers even a person like me to live right now. And so we'll do that at the end of the service. Go ahead and woo-hoo a couple times. All right, man. I like that. Thank you. 
Today I do want to teach and I want to preach regarding the life of Jesus because I'm confident that as you see him, as you get a clearer picture of him, his life and his death, it will not only help us conclude and wrap up this series, but this is going to set the tone for the year. Now, I want this to be a good year for me. I want this to be a good year for you. And as we look to Jesus, that's how we're going to make today, this week, and this year a profitable year. As I was thinking about this, I thought if there was ever a person who said, I can do it myself, I would think that that would be Jesus. Consider this with me. Here is God. He's always existed. He's up there with the Father and the Spirit, and he comes down to earth, and he takes on humanity. If anybody could have ever said, I can live this human life on my own, wouldn't it be him? I mean, wouldn't it be the Son of God who could say, I could do this on my own? And I want you to know that's not what he said. In fact, his model for us was, I can't do this on my own. Here are some things I need. Let me do a quick review of where we've been the last few weeks. Jesus, in essence, said this, I need constant connection with God the Father. This is what I need. I need the Father in my life. And we read that he is going out early in the morning to pray to the Father. At the end of the day, he's praying to the Father. As people are overwhelming him, as he's going through difficulties, he's saying, I need connection with the Father. Here he is, completely God and completely man, but he says, I know what I need. I need constant connection with the Father. We also see this through Jesus, that he need constant interaction and meditation on God's Word or the Scripture. Write this down. If Jesus needs this, we're going to need this as well. But Jesus, he knew the Word of God. It wasn't that he was just programmed with this. He had to learn it as a human. So he spent time with it so that when he's facing temptation, he goes, oh, here's what I know from the Word of God. Here's the truth that I know. Here's how I can counteract temptation. Here's how I can teach and speak into the lives of others. He knew Scripture. And then I know this about Jesus, that he also needed family. Not just a mom and a dad and brothers and sisters, but he needed people like us around him. There were times that he said, oh, I need you to come pray with me. I need you to go with me. I, I need you to strengthen me. Check this out if you would. Jesus he did not have a bank account as far as I can tell. He relied on, the, on other people to help him. He's like, I'm going to your house today. Why? Because I heard you got a good menu. I, I, I don't even have a kitchen. I need, I need you to feed me. How un-American is that, Jesus? Well, good thing he's not American, right? You don't go to somebody else's house. You don't invite yourself over. You supply for yourself. You do it on your own. You don't need others. Jesus is like, no, I need people. I need to come over to your house. I need to eat. I need your house because I actually don't have an address where I stay most of the time. I need places to stay. I need you. If he were going to our church, I'm sure Jesus would have been the first one to grab this connection card, put his name on here, Jesus, address, uh, Nazareth, Capernaum, Jerusalem, wherever it is today, you know, the homeless shelter, wherever it might be. But here's what I need. I need some help. I need people to pray for me. I need people to support me. And then at the end of the service, He'd put that in the joy box and he'd say, hey, I need to connect. So don't think that you're above this. Jesus said, I need connection with the Father. I need connection with his word and I need connection with my family here. Just take a minute and look around if you would. These are some of the people that you need. in your. Go ahead, look around. Don't look at me right now. Just look around. These are some of the people you need in your life. 
Jesus knew this. And when he acknowledged these things, he said, I I look at this and I go, if Jesus needed these, guess what? You and I need the same things. You and I need connection with the Father. You and I need to be in his word more than when I share it with you on a Sunday morning. More than even just going to a Bible study. You and I need this word. And then you and I need family. But as I was looking at the life of Jesus, there's at least one more influence that Jesus needed to live out his purpose. One more influence I can find here that he needed to live out his calling. The Father has a calling for him. The Father has a purpose for him. There's at least one more influence, and I want us to see this today in Hebrews chapter 2, because not only does Jesus need this, but you and I need this. Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to start by reading one verse, and I'm just going to tell you, in Hebrews chapter 2, and I would encourage you to read more of this than the one verse I'm going to look at today. But I just want to warn you a little bit. It's written to Hebrews. It's written to people who understand a lot of the Jewish culture and history. They understand Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the rest of what we call the Old Testament. They understand this. And so a lot of the language is for them. And so sometimes as a 21st century American, you're like, man, I don't get this. Okay, fine. Google it. All right. Ask us. Uh, Write it on your connection card. Do some study. But I do want to show you one verse today, and then we'll look at a few others as well. But let's make this our home verse, chapter 2, verse 10. Ready? Follow along as I read this. For it was fitting that he, speaking of God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, speaking of Jesus, perfect through suffering. Let me read this a couple other times. Follow along if you would again. For it was fitting that God the Father, He, for whom and by whom all things exist. Again, verse 10. For it was fitting that He, God the Father, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God the Father should make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, it was fitting that He make Him perfect through suffering. Suffering. It was important to make Jesus perfect through this. And as I was looking at this, I thought, you know what? We need this today to understand life, to understand growth. You see, we cannot be everything that God has called us to be. We can't do it on our own without this influence, the influence of suffering. Would you write this down? You're like, oh, I want to leave now, okay? Go catch some pregame Super Bowl stuff, whatever. No, stay here, okay? Frankly, I'd rather preach on something more fun than this. But as I've been in this, it's like, oh, this is actually really good. There's this influence that we need. We can't be everything God has called us to be without the influence also of suffering. Suffering, we need this. One more time, verse 10 it was fitting that he, God the Father, should make the founder of our salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. Suffering. Let's consider this thought that Jesus, completely God and completely man, he needed suffering in his life to help him become perfected. 
Now, some of you, this may throw you for a quick loop, and you're like, wait a second, I thought Jesus was perfect, wasn't he? I mean, just not. Jesus was perfect, right? I mean, he lived a sinless life, right? Yeah, but this suffering brings out this process. The word perfect doesn't mean sinless. The word perfect means going to make him complete, to help him become everything he's supposed to be. Suffering was going to bring out this perfectedness, this completeness of Jesus so that he could be prepared for his task. In order to get to this point, to be our complete Savior, Jesus was going to have to be perfected by the Father through suffering. You see, God the Father needed a perfect sacrifice. He needed a one-time sacrifice that would cover all of us. One sacrifice for all the people. And Jesus, he, this is what he became. He became the perfect Savior. Look at verse 17, if you would, with me. I'm skipping over some of these verses because it just takes too long to uh, teach it. But I'm going to go down to verse 17. Therefore, in light of some of the things said before that, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation. How many of you went to Cyrus's class this morning at 9 o'clock? All right, you talked about that word, didn't you? Did you? Did you? Where's Cyrus? You talked about that word today? Yeah, so the idea is that Jesus is going to be the one who satisfies the requirements of the Father. Verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted Raise your hand if you know that you were tempted this last week, tempted to not trust God, tempted to walk away from God, tempted to run your own agenda, all right? And if you did not know, you were tempted, all right? We were all tempted. Jesus suffered, verse 18, so that he is able to help those who are being tempted. Go over to chapter 4 real quickly, just two chapters over. A couple buttons if you're using your iPad or web, whatever, chapter 4, verse 15. Write this down, then you can look this area up a little later this week. 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the Father said, I want this perfect Savior I need him to be this perfect savior, and he's going to be perfected. It's going to complete its process through suffering so that he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Write this down, if you would. I want you to know that Jesus can sympathize with your weakness. You say, man, I have a weakness for Doritos or whatever it is. Had somebody come up for a service and said, man, some people are bugging me. And I'm like, man, that's a weakness. And I want you to know Jesus can sympathize with that weakness. We all have them, many of these weaknesses. But Jesus became the perfect Savior to sympathize with our weaknesses. Go over to chapter 5. One more passage I want you to look at, chapter 5. Again, write this down, 5, verses 8 and 9. You can look up that whole area later this week. Chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Verse 9, and being made perfect, being made complete, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who 
obey. Again, the Father says, I want this perfect Savior, and I'm going to bring about this perfection in him through suffering. He's going to learn obedience through suffering. Jesus, he learned obedience through suffering. It's suffering sometimes to obey. We're, we're faced with this dilemma, obey God or go my own way. And there's an internal struggle. And sometimes there's a, even persecution if you follow God. Jesus experienced this, but he learned obedience. He learned from a young age, and as he become, became an adult man, that he learned obedience. Now, this is highly important to us because suffering had a purpose in Jesus' life. Jesus suffered with this purpose. And you and I, as we experience suffering, we'll talk about ours in a little bit, it has a purpose. God says, I want to use suffering for your purpose as well. For Jesus, it would be that he would be our perfect Savior, that he would be able to sympathize with our weaknesses, that he would learn obedience and become that perfect Savior. I just started writing down some of the ways Jesus suffered. I mean, the big one is, I mean, if we did a 100-people survey, top seven answers on the board, how did Jesus suffer? All right. We'd, you know, family feud style, punch in and go, okay, he died on the cross. Hard for us to resonate with that one, right? I mean, I just haven't been crucified on a cross yet. I hope I don't have to. But that one's a tough one for us to say, man, I don't get that one. But I want you to know he, he suffered in many other ways that you and I do experience. You've suffered the death of a loved one. All right, so had Jesus. Maybe his father, at, when Jesus was a young age, we don't know exactly, maybe he experienced the loss of his dad. He certainly lost the, one of his good friends, Lazarus, to the point that he wept. You, if you've gone through the death of a loved one, Jesus did too. He can sympathize with your hurt. We also read of another man, his ministry partner, John the Baptist. He hears that John's locked up in jail before long. John gets beheaded. Jesus is sorrowful over this news. Oh, and he can understand when you go through difficulties. I was thinking about this, that Jesus at one point, a group of people were so frustrated, they took him to maybe in essence Mary's peak and said, we're going to take you up there to throw you off the hill. We want you dead. And then he does some little kung fu, woo, 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 and he escapes the situation. But they wanted him dead that bad, they took him up on a hill to do that. He suffered. He had some of his good buddies. Here's a guy named Judas who followed him for three years. And then Judas found an opportunity and said, I'm selling you out for some money. I don't want you. Suffered. He's going to the cross, and one of his three closest buddies, Peter, Peter says, man, I don't know this guy. Jesus is like, no, I'd like somebody at my side. And Peter's like, no. I don't know what you're suffering, but Jesus experienced many sufferings like this. Loss of relationships. Broken down body, seeing loved ones hurt to the point that, yes, he was crucified on our behalf. Jesus can understand. He can understand the power of temptation that you're going through. He can understand the power that sin has. 
But notice this, that when Jesus suffered, it drew him closer to his Father. When Jesus suffered, it drew him into the Word of God where he meditated on this and recited it back to God for his own heart's sake. When he suffered, he went to his family. And when you suffer, it's a great place to go. He became for us the perfect sacrifice. As I was looking at that, I thought, okay, this should cause us to worship. This should just cause us to say, Jesus, because of what you went through on my behalf, because you became the perfect Savior through your suffering, that should just be a life of worshiping. doesn't always mean singing, though sometimes that happens. I was at Winco last night getting some groceries, and I just hear this guy is working in the produce department. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And I'm like, man, this is cool, man. This guy's just worshiping. He understands the goodness of God. I'm like, shh, you might get fired. So I walked up to him, and I just said, man, that's good. We're singing that song at our church today. My daughter thought that was really weird that I'd say that. But, you know, I was just like, he know, he knew something about Jesus that while he's at work, he's just like, I've got to worship. And sometimes that even comes out through song. Later today, we'll take communion. It's going to be an opportunity for us to worship and just go, Jesus, you were the perfect Savior for a knucklehead, a sinner, miserable human like me. Thank you. But not only does it cause us to worship, it should just encourage us for our own suffering. Raise your hand if you've just experienced some suffering in the last week. Let me just raise it high. Like really high if you're really suffering. All right, all right, all right. Okay. The rest of you are liars. <laughs> you need to repent, confess your sin one to another. That yes, maybe you didn't suffer, praise the Lord. But I'll tell you what, the rest of our life we will, right? We will. Let's talk about our suffering a little bit. Because if Jesus did to become our perfect Savior, to fulfill his purpose and calling, you've got to think and you've got to know that God's going to allow suffering in our lives to help us get to our purpose and our calling in life. So let's talk about the paths of pain for a few moments. The paths of pain. And so let's just begin with this idea of suffering All right, let's just suffering right here. If you're writing this on your note, here's a picture. Suffering's going to be at the crossroads here. The fork in the road. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. I think that's what someone said once. At the fork in the road, suffering. Here's suffering. And it has many forms. Could be the sickness you're going through. Could be the death of a loved one. Could be a broken relationship. Could be persecution in your life for standing up for what you believe in. Could be the heartbreak of seeing your children make mistakes. Could be the heartbreak seeing your children suffer. Suffering could be watching the Patriots win another Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm turning that off if it looks like that, all right, today. I'm just, anyway. Two choices, though suffering. And what suffering does is it starts to expose, are we people who are do-it-yourselfers or are we people who say, no, I'm a can't-do-it-yourselfer? Suffering points us to one of these two options. You're either a do-it-yourselfer or you're a can't-do-it-yourselfer. Let me explain this a little bit. Romans chapter 5, you see this passage in your notes and you can look there later, but let me just go over some of these verses 
The Apostle Paul says that we are to rejoice in our sufferings. You come to the fork in the road, you are to rejoice in this. Now that sounds crazy. Why would we do this? I want to run from this. I want to find a different road. But he says rejoice in your sufferings because suffering is going to produce something in you. And God's plan is that it would produce patience in you. This is what his plan is. The problem is sometimes it also can produce impatience in us. Suffering can say, you know what, God, this is not in my time frame. This does not fit my schedule. This is not what I like. And we become quite impatient. But suffering is designed to grow us in patience. That we would trust God. Even though it doesn't fit our schedule. Even though it doesn't fit our time frame. I was thinking, what might Jesus have thought when he's looking at his guys? He's like, come on, Peter. Suffering with Peter. And he's like, oh. I feel like I could be really impatient with you, but I am going to be patient with you because I am going to trust that God is going to use you, even a knucklehead like you, to be the leader of our church. So I'm going to be patient. I imagine Jesus looking over the nation of Israel and going, oh, you people. I thought you knew the scriptures. I thought you'd know who the Messiah is. I kind of want to be impatient with you, but My suffering will bring out patience as I trust in the Father. Or if he looked at Judas, he was like, Judas, come on. As he's looking through these, Jesus, is he's even ready for the cross? Is he suffering this way? Is there another way? This isn't what I wanted. But God's going to teach me patience. He's going to teach me to trust in him. I started thinking about that with us. We have the suffering of whatever it is. Let's say your kids. How many of you? It's like, oh, man, I get real impatient with my kids. Sometimes we even blame them. You're making me impatient. No, that's our decision. This is an opportunity in this suffering to choose. I'm going to trust God that God's still at work in my kids. Oh, man, though I don't see it right now. Suffering in the job, it can produce patience as you Trust in God. The house falling apart, an opportunity to grow in patience as you trust in the Lord. Your car's falling apart, opportunity to grow in patience as you trust in the Lord. Your pet's peeing on the carpet again, good opportunity to trust in the Lord and to be patient. Frustrated with our government, good opportunity for you to trust in the Lord and be patient. Your body's falling apart, good opportunity for you to trust in the Lord and be patient. You see, suffering, if we do not rely on God, though, will cause us to be impatient. Just think about that for a minute. Where you have become impatient recently. I'll tell you, you can draw that back to there was this issue where you suffered and you did not trust in God. You trusted in your own agenda. And all of a sudden, like, how come I'm so impatient? I found it that way even in my own heart this morning. Something went wrong, and right away, instead of trusting God, I was like, it's not fitting my time frame. And I was finding, whoa, I'm getting impatient because I'm not trusting the Lord on this issue. I was thinking this is not just us. I was reflecting on a man named Jeremiah. Right, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Lamentations chapter 3. Jeremiah said this. I'm going to read a couple verses. He said, My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance, my patience has perished. I got none. 
So has my hope from the Lord. It's gone. But then he says this, but this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I'm calling this to mind. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Though I don't feel it, all of a sudden I'm going to trust in you and go, oh yeah, God's got this. Jeremiah knew something about growing in patience. Well, Paul says rejoice in suffering because it produces patience. And patience is going to produce proven character. Write this down. Down this road that suffering can produce proven character. God is working through every situation to grow genuine faith in every single one of us. And we can trust him. We can trust him. Jesus, okay, this is going to help me. This suffering is going to help me to be the perfect Savior. This is why his character is proven. This is going to help me to obey the Father in everything. And his character is growing. You and I, when we say, okay, this suffering is going to be used by God to grow my character, I can trust God. It grows our character. The problem is some of our big failures are character flaws where when we suffer and we don't trust God and we lack patience, we, how did I do this? How did I mess up so bad? How did I relapse? How did I, whatever it is, where did I get here? In your suffering, we didn't trust God. We trusted in ourselves. And suffering, if we do not rely on God, is going to show out our character flaws. And then so Paul says, so rejoice in your sufferings because it produces patience if you trust in God. And it, trust, it, it, it uh, results in proven character if you trust in God. And it results in hope. Would you write this down? That this suffering results in hope. This is God's plan. He says, I'm going to use this suffering so that you would be a hopeful person in my son. And then he says, son, I want you to go and suffer so that they can see that, yes, there is hope. That whatever you're going through, that whatever you're going through, that you would hope in him. My hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. So I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, then, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So here's this suffering. God's working patience in me as I trust in Him. And He's growing my character that I would be hopeful in Him. Jesus tells the story. He says, it's like if you built two houses. You could build one on a rock. And when the rains hit, and by the way, the floods do hit, don't they? When they hit, if your house is built on the rock and you're trusting in me, you'll be fine. But if you have been a do-it-yourselfer, if you say, no, I'm just going to do it my own way, it's like building a house on sand. And when the rains hit, you in big trouble, man. Or when the drought comes. Those who do not trust in the Lord are in big trouble. Suffering, if we do not 
rely on God can certainly lead to despair. That's, look at that. I'm like, man, I want that for me. I want hope over there. But yet, how many times do we find ourselves over here in despair? And it's because when I was suffering, I didn't trust God. I trusted self. And I'm like, I'm, I'm hopeless. Get back to this suffering and say, oh, no, I'm going to trust the Lord in this. And God will produce hope in me. See, Jesus, he experienced a lifetime of suffering, unjust suffering, an unjust death. He had to pay for the sins of me and you and seven billion people and for generations. That ain't fair. But his sufferings led him to patience and proven character and to hope and say, oh, I know that God is working all things together for good. My father is doing that. You see, there's a choice in every type of pain and suffering. There's a choice in your suffering that you're experiencing right now. Will you let it be used by God to grow you? To give you life? Or will you turn from God and allow this suffering to crush you? It kind of seems like a no-brainer, right? There's only one good choice for us. Let your pain, write this down, let your pain draw you near to God, not push you far from God. Let your pain cause you to say, oh, all the more I need God right now. I cannot do this on my own. Don't let it push you from him. The human response for us is to simply say, no, 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 I want to escape, I want to medicate, I just want to get out of this situation. No. Let this draw you near to God where you say, God, I cannot do this on my own. And thank God that's what Jesus did, amen? Jesus didn't say, oh, with this suffering, no, 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 I just want to escape. He's like, no, I'm going to draw near to God. I'm going to become this perfect sacrifice for us. It's this cycle of growth that we suffer. And God is growing us in patience. And he's growing our character so that we would have hope. And he'll allow more suffering to come in so that we would be patient and our character would be stronger so that we would hope. And there's more suffering so that we would be patient so that our character is even more and more like Christ that we would have hope in him. And there will be more suffering. It will not end. But he's growing our patience and he's growing our character and he's growing our hope. Say this, if you would, in my pain, I'll draw near to God. Go ahead and say it with me. In my pain, I'll draw near to God. Preach this to yourself over and over. In my pain, I'll draw near to God. This is what Jesus did on the way to the cross. He's even like, oh, he's suffering. Is there another way, Father, we can do this? I don't want to take on the sins of the world. I mean, physical crucifixion is bad enough, but to take on the sins of the world, is there another way? But not my will be done, yours. In my pain, I'm going to draw near to you. I'm going to trust you. In your pain of parenting, may it draw you near to God. In your pain of working where you're working or unemployed, may it draw you near to God. 
and your pain, physical pain of yours or a loved one, let it draw you near to God. This is why communion is so beautiful for us today. We remember what Jesus did. His suffering, he didn't, in his suffering, he didn't go his own way and say, I, I can do this myself. I have to draw near to the Father. And this is good for us that he would do this. It's a great reminder for us today that Jesus suffered, but that his suffering had a purpose. Suffering had a purpose. His suffering had a purpose for him. It had a purpose for you and me. His obedience to go to the cross on our behalf, it, it made him that perfect Savior for each of us. The sufferings of Jesus, it secured my salvation. <laughs> it had a purpose. It wasn't meaningless. It had a purpose. And God has a purpose for our suffering as well. Today as we go to communion, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you to go to one of these four stations and, and just thank God for this plan. That the sufferings of Jesus were to secure your salvation. I invite you to thank Jesus for suffering and not escaping it, but embracing it. For giving you this model. And even today, whatever your suffering might be, take a piece of bread, symbol of his body. Take a cup of juice, symbol of his blood poured out for you. And say, I need you. I need you. And I'm embracing you now in my suffering. There are going to be people up here as well to pray for you. Pray with them. Use that as an opportunity to say, okay, I also need people in my life. But we're going to let you, after I pray, to come up to one of these four stations. Go back at your seats, or you can stay up here and kneel. Pray with someone. Thank God. And then plead with him, Father, help me in my suffering to draw near to you. Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, Heavenly Father, uh, I don't like this topic. I am weak and want an easy day, an easy week. Frankly, I want an easy rest of my life. But that's not what you would want for me. That's not what you would want for us. You are going to allow more suffering this year to help me understand, to help us understand we can't do it ourselves. We need you. We need your word. We need each other. We even need this thing called suffering because you are producing in us your life. You're producing patience and proven character so that we would be people who would say, my hope is built on Jesus. So today, as we eat, as we drink, as we remember, help us to be grateful for what you did, Father, in sending your Son. Jesus, we want to be thankful to you for what you suffered on our behalf. But even help us today in this moment to just say, I'm coming to you. I'm embracing 
you. I need to draw near to you. And I ask that as we do this today and this week, whatever may come, that you would continue to grow us to be the people that you have purposed us to be, to be the light of the world, to be able to hurt and be comforted so that we could comfort others. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done on our behalf. We will eat and drink in remembrance and gratitude in what you did. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.